0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. Thank you for listening. This is episode 94. It is June 15th, 2020, and this week's episode is brought to you by the following Patreon Lartians. Shout out to the new ones, Mark Fell. Shout out to Kenny and Nick, because they both up their pledge, holler. You can always do that. If you pledge at the $10 song level, you get the pin pack and the art. And uh, So that's what's up. Shout to the old Patreon Larsons, Jeremy, Walter, and Michelle. Thank you very much. Uh, let's jump into it. This is this week's Letter to Atlas. This is from Ralph in New York. Busy sleeping, busy pooping. pooping, just checking in. How's, How's the little, little boy doing? doing? These are some messages that, that you left. left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone.
1: Hey, this is, uh, Ralph from New York City. I want to share a story with Atlas about the time I saw MC Lars live as, uh, my first concert. It was back in 2012. I was three hours early for the show. I was sitting outside of a, a venue called Webster Hall and MC Lars walks up to me and he goes, isn't this the biggest place of pizza you've ever seen? Uh, your father then proceeded to give me and my friend free poster, and it was just really cool to
0: see him and hang out with him. Well, this is rough. <laughs> this is a rough one. I can't cancel this audio message, and it won't run out. That is the magic of audio recording. I love your message. Very real and very beautiful. I remember that giant piece of pizza, and I remember that show. Thank you for calling in. So let's get into it. This week's guest is Akira the Dawn, and this is a story that I tell a lot, but um. On my first international tour, it was for Radio Pet Fencing, which was an album I made in my dorm. A label called Truck Records put it out because when I was studying in Oxford in 2003 as part of my undergrad, I was playing a lot of shows with my laptop, and they were a local label who signed me for one album, and this led to me meeting my manager, which led to a lot of amazing... Lucky Breaks, which allowed me to keep doing this until now and onward, but I went to promote Radio Pit Fencing, and all the press I did was kind of snarky. Like People were like, oh, this is funny. This is, wow, you really believe in yourself, and I looked back at it, and some of it was kind of sarcastic, but Akira the Dawn took me really seriously, and he had this podcast, which was like an internet radio thing, one of the first podcasts ever. You could download the MP3s from his site and he interviewed me about my influences. He talked to a lot of people like Sage Francis and Sex. That's this dude uh, from Baltimore, CEX, who was really influential on me. He talked to Paul Barman. We get into this, all the people he talked to, but uh, it was a cool interview, and it was my first ever international interview, like real interview. And it's really dope to be able to interview uh, Akira The Don. He was signed to Interscope, and he was rapping. He was the first Welsh artist signed to Interscope, I think. Um, and he did a song called Living in the Future that he remixed, and then he did a second remix that I was on, and that was on uh, Indie Rocket Science. And Akira the Don does this thing now called Meaning Wave where he'll sample really influential, inspiring speeches and create songs and melodies around them and make really cool videos and DJ. And he's built this whole thing around this thing, Meaning Wave. Um, He talks about something interesting. He says that... It's important for you to be concerned with what you have in your domain of direct control. And Zach Vetter, who's a teacher, sustainability expert who I had on the show, said something similar, which I thought was tight. He also talked about how rap is the ultimate art form because it amalgamates everything. And I think that is true. So um, yeah, he, we, he makes a reference to having me on his upcoming online show, but that was earlier. And this was before Atlas was born. So that gives it some context. He has a new album out called Watts Wave 6, which is his Alan Watts like remix project is the sixth one he did a crowdfunding campaign for it and you can be sure to check that out but I just think Akira is a dope dude a real guy a nice guy he's always been supportive of me I really respect what he's doing and it's awesome to see his numbers take off and his like brand grow and he's he's a good guy so you'll hear you'll hear my affinity for him throughout the podcast but it's like when someone does something nice for you early in your career You never will forget it. And i never forget Akira's Kindness. Oh, and he opened for um, Weird Science and MC Chris and myself on the 2011 tour leading up to Lars Attacks, the UK tour. And it was a long tour. And he and Jack Nimble were awesome. And uh, yeah, they were a great, great opener. Great to have like a British opener on that tour. So we talk about that. So let's get into it. This is my interview with Meaning Wave artist Akira the Don. (music) Hi, friends. I'm here with Akira the Don. This is a man that I've known for almost 20 years, and the first interview I ever did was for his internet show in 2003, and now he's on my podcast. It's crazy how life goes in circles. What's up, Akira?
2: Isn't that crazy? 2003, before YouTube, before any of this stuff that's what we consider the contemporary internet, I had what was then because there wasn't the word podcast, it was a radio show, but it was delivered via MP3, so it was a podcast. Okay. And I was in that little basement room on Brick Lane in East London, and I had you and Sage Francis in back-to-back.
0: Hey, that's tight.
2: Here we are together in the future. The future that we built, because you, what you were doing at that point with the way you were doing your music and touring and distributing became the model, and what I was doing became another part of the model. Like, you and yeah. I were there building the future in the long, long, long ago. Just before I did this, I was doing a podcast with uh, young Tiger Joseph, uh, who was telling me about how basically he, was, he found uh, the Meaning Wave stuff and was like, this is amazing. But he was like, hang on, hang on. That's the guy who had that amazing Living in the Future song with like Scroobius Pip and those guys. And he started rapping your verse.
0: Wow, that's like, weird.
2: That's, that's, that's one of those beautiful synchronicities. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I pay attention to synchronicities because I consider those signposts that tell you that you're going in the right direction. You know, Malcolm X used to say when you saw synchronicities, that meant you were walking with a law. Wow. Grant Morrison would say the first step to becoming a chaos magician is to pay attention to synchronicities. I use them as signposts. But yeah, so just for this, I just had a big old one just right there, just 10 minutes ago
0: let's rewind let's go back to the last time we saw each other you were still living in London Uh I think and um it was at the Surya on one of the tours Uh, like maybe was that what 2013 when did you move to LA
2: that was like 2011 okay I think it's when I had that uh that second album that I did with Stephen Hager I have to look. It, I have to look this up.
0: <laughs> well, we no, we did that tour with Chris and all those guys in twenty eleven, where it was like Weird Science, Chris. Oh yeah, yeah, you. yeah. But
2: then I did see you after that, and it was actually the last time I saw you. It was the last show I ever did as a the Don, the rapper, before uh, I kind of stopped, stopped rapping for a while and moved to America and all that type of thing, and invented Meaning Wave and all that type of stuff. Yeah, that was twenty thirteen.
0: Twenty thirteen. So you moved to LA in twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen.
2: Moved fully. I think I got my visa in 2014, but I kind of took the family out to LA in 2013 to see if they liked it. Type type vibes. It was Hercules was born in 2013, and when we got on the aeroplane, he was still crawling, and when we got off the aeroplane, he was walking.
0: Wow, yeah. that's that's poetic.
2: <laughs> it's true though. He was like he had another little kid next to him, and he was trying to impress the other little kid or dominate him or something. He started doing this weird gorilla flex, like swinging his arms <laughs> up like that. And just started sort yeah. of like toddling around and ran off at the uh, ran off at the plane and started crawling up some lady's dress. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Welcome to America. Yeah, baby. You're, are you American green card or si- like how does that work with being a musician? No, I'm. Are sorry, you I'm, citizen now?
2: No, 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 no. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. aim. That's the aim. I'm on am yeah. on what is called a O 01 visa, which is the artist of extraordinary. No, sorry, the alien of extraordinary ability visa, the artist one. So on my visa, it says alien of extraordinary ability, which is pretty, pretty clutch. Uh, So I'm on that. But yeah, ultimately, I want to I want to do the uh, citizenship and all that type of thing. All that's been temporarily suspended, you know, because of these uh, trying times as people keep emailing me and saying they are. I get like 15 emails a day from companies going in these trying times. Shane trying, bitch. Fucking get some fucking perspective. I mean, trying is the fucking Luftwaffe dropping bombs on your head. This is an opportunity is what this is. It's an opportunity.
0: I was like obsessing about metadata tags and stuff. And I was emailing you about it insensitively, like nonstop. <laughs> and I felt bad about that because it wasn't important. And I was like, I felt like things we left. We left Brooklyn. We're in rural Pennsylvania. And I was like, OK, what are all the things I can control? Yeah, let, yeah, me, yeah. let me obsess with this. And you and you were like, look, you put it. Help me put it in perspective. I'm like, I appreciate that. Because as a friend, you were like, you didn't you weren't mad at me, but you were like, this is not a priority relax. And I'm like, started to let go of things that weren't so important from then. So I wanted to thank you for that. Cause it's, it put, yeah, I've been trying to look at things in perspective we're about to have a kid and we're like thinking about the, the future. All that stuff
2: is important, it, but it's just like timing. Like just for me with that stuff, it's like, I've just moved to this new distributor and they had to leave all their offices and they're like re- setting yeah. up their new systems and stuff like that that should be simple. There's stuff like that should be simple. Unfortunately, it isn't. And like right now, it's like really, (laughs) but it will, it's like, you know, it's, it's all being fixed. All those systems will be fixed. And here's the thing you kind of, you had the right idea to a degree because, uh, you should be focusing on what's in your domain of control, all unnecessary suffering in the world is a direct result of people obsessing over what is outside their control. People Mm. worrying about political issues or people worrying about what their neighbors are doing or whatever, and not focusing on what's in the domain of their direct control everybody focuses on what's in the du- domain of their direct control, A, they're acting more optimally in the world and are thus more useful, and B, they're not ca- causing themselves unnecessary pain and suffering. You know what yeah. I mean? All that unnecessary pain and suffering, fear and all that type of stuff that exists outside of, of the moment and outside of your domain of uh, control. So you were right, you know, to focus on the stuff that you can control. Unfortunately, yeah. some of that stuff you couldn't control.
0: <laughs> You've always been very creative with figuring out the strings behind things, like the deeper meaning. And um, I've always seen you as like a metaphysical kind of guru kind of guy, but also how just being persistent and creative and believing in yourself is the ultimate power and believing in other people who you think are weird and unique. Like I've always admired that about you and seeing your success with the meaning wave and all that. It's like, whoa, this dude, this dude is tenacious and this dude is, um, is a good positive source on this planet if that makes sense yeah man
2: likewise consistency persistence to go the distance resistance all that shit you know what i mean and you've been a shining example of that also and similarly here's something that you were good at earlier and i was not i would uh you know i was all those things you said but i was i had this like i would sort of flip from idea to idea and i was like the thing that i you know i was like oh now i've got this idea i'm gonna go do that i never really did anything long enough for it to stick or whatever you know until i heard like a couple years ago i heard james altucher on a podcast say quadruple down on what's working and so Mm. i decided to But like you did that early on and you were like you know i'm gonna do all in on this thing and i'm gonna be that guy and this was the the subjects and stuff and i will not deviate from that too much and like that was smart that's like that's you know the biggest Twitter Thanks. accounts are essentially people who say the same thing every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's true. It's like yeah, they've got true. a thing that they say and they fucking say it every yeah. day. Maybe they find new ways of saying it, but that's that's the cons- same with YouTube channels and stuff. Like,
0: right? You know, especially now, and and it's it's so. Let's talk about the Meaning Wave thing and like how you started doing that, if you don't mind talking about it, and like how you've been able to hack Spotify and like what? Yeah, talk to me about that. Hack Spotify.
2: Uh, which aspect of it? What aspect of it interests you?
0: You were doing rap just straight up hip hop stuff for the most part when I first met you or doing it more. Yeah. And when did you when did the wave kind of s- stuff become and more instrument, s- instrumental and less typical boom bap rap become what was inspiring you?
2: As Big Nasty puts it, you know, he he like he hit me up a little while ago and he was just like he just heard a little peep and he was like this is what you were doing 15 years ago. What the heck? Right. right. <laughs> and, like, it's been like that with a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? When uh, when Kanye West did Black Skinhead and he was, like, rapping da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da over a glitter beat, it was like I did that in 2004. It was like uh, when people started doing electro stuff in, like, 2011, it was like I was doing that shit in 2005. It's like I did a lot of stuff early and too early. You know, I was too ahead of my time. And then other people come. Right. And, then I, and then I'd quickly move on to another thing before – and like five years later, the thing I was doing at that point like starts getting hot or whatever. But I was always consistently inspired. I love. I, love, I think rap of rap as being the ultimate art form. It can take mm. anything into itself, right? It can take anything from anywhere. That's what it is. It is cultural appropriation. That's its whole fucking basis and genesis. Here's craftwork. Here's these German weirdos. Here's Africa Bambaataa. Here's you know what I mean. Here's all these different things. Bring all this stuff together. Yeah. Everything exists within that thing and it's constantly flexing its boundaries and morphing into a new thing. Hip-hop today is not what hip-hop was last week and so on and so forth. So I I love hip-hop and I've always considered it the ultimate contemporary musical art form for that reason. But as far as like why I sort of uh, paused rapping for a while, because I had this grand arc of a trilogy of albums in my head that would sort of tell the experience of the human. And the first one I did when we were young, that was easy to do because that was about being a kid. And the second one, The Life Equation, was easy to do because that was about being a kid in- growing up and interfacing with the world. And So the first one's about being a kid and, and, the, and the individual, and the right of the individual to be an individual and the importance of that. And then the second one is growing up, interfacing the world and realizing that interconnectivity with everything and the importance of that. So the third one was, you know, basically I realized, shit, I can't make the third one because I'm not smart enough yet. I'm not wise mm. enough yet. I haven't experienced enough yet. I haven't had a kid yet. I can't make that album. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put the mic down for a bit and I'm going to focus on getting really good at my production and uh, getting wise and learning all these things I need to learn. So that's what I was doing. And then I started incorporating more. I'd always made these mixtapes and it'd be like two tracks of me rapping, then uh sample Jack Kirby talking about creating the new gods for three minutes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I'd always made these songs that yeah. had that were essentially like four-minute skits. Is one way of looking at it. You know, you'd have a rap album, you'd have a little 15-second skit, a bit of John F. Kennedy at the beginning of the song. I'd been doing whole songs that were like that. So I made some of these songs, and um, one week I put out three songs. One of them had Jordan Peterson talking about uh, the usefulness of, of, you know, being a plumber and how that's a noble thing, to be a good plumber, to be really, to, to do a job, that some people might not think is glamorous, but to do it really well, how that's actually really important. I had another song that was uh, sampling Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Uh, all you had to do was follow the damn train, CJ. And I had another song out that week <laughs> that was uh, a lady on the radio talking about the concept of hiraeth, which is a Welsh word to do with uh, a sort of nostalgic longing for a place that you used to live that no longer exists. And mm. an, of those three songs, the Peterson one was doing incredibly well. People were like, this is, finding it really useful, finding it really unique. And I heard James Altucher on a podcast say quadruple down on what's working. And I thought, shit, maybe for the first time in my life, I should go all in on one of these things that I've created and see how far I can go with that and how deep that goes. So that's what I did. Mm. I basically went all in on the meaning wave thing, which was the taking people talking about something that I was basically, the idea is that I wanted to integrate these ideas. And I would realized that when I was 16, my just before I quit school, my my uh, revision consisted entirely of me reading the notes over ambient music and playing them as I went to sleep. So I knew from early on the power of integrating music and words as a way of integrating those mm. ideas, right? And I realized that here we are at this juncture of humanity, this information age, suddenly we have access to the sum wisdom of the ages. But how do we integrate that? Right how can we as an how can an individual integrate the some wisdom of the ages in it, in in our lifetime is that possible and i believe it is by fusing it with music because you could listen to a podcast once or twice and maybe get some of it but if you turn that podcast into a pop song or an album you could listen to it a thousand times and that shit would really get in and get into your subconscious where it actually works you know so right. that, that's what i've been doing with that it's it's a thing that's a like very very practical for helping integrate all these ideas, philosophy, wisdom, skills, techniques, all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's also a thing that was unique that no one else was doing. It was a thing I created. It was a thing that, see, that proved to be very popular. And the deeper into it I went and the more the more I went in on it and the more I developed it and sort of finessed it, uh, the more popular it became, the more powerful it became, the more useful it became, yeah.
0: That's what's up. That's what's yeah. up, man. Good work. And it's satisfying. It sounds like it's not just like creating content to, for, right? It sounds like it has a personal function in your life that this stuff, bringing meaning to yourself and other people and translating, like that act is noble and inspiring for yourself, I would hope. Would you agree? What do you, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so there's a thing I realized. There's two things I used to want tattooed on me. Like one, I used to want non-servium, which is what Lucifer said to God. He said, non-servium, I will not serve. And because what that basically means, that's free will. Like in, in the history of like the development of uh, human consciousness, that's like free will. That's the individual, right? That's like the teenager sort of rebelling against the parents and saying, I will not be a doctor. I will go and do this or whatever. But then the other mm-hmm. thing is that, is, I think, it's, is it Valimeghulis in Game of Thrones? The all men ma- yeah all, right. all men must serve? Yeah, Because all men must die. Oh, so it's, it's Valimeghulis, which is that all men must serve?
0: Um, probably Baha'ilis, because Margulis I think, is all men die. Yeah, Yeah.
2: so one of them is all men must serve. And that's the big, Ah. that's the big truth you find out later. So after you've done your rebellion that says, I will not serve, you realize actually you must, because, uh, how's another way I can put it? Uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. I used to, you know, Thomas the Train, as he's known as in America, uh, is this anthropomorphic train. And he's on these rails on this weird island. He, he can never get off. He just has to go round and round. And his credo is... Is he, he voiced t- by Ringo Starr? He was, yes. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He was voiced by Ringo Starr. No, and I used to think it was a nightmare. I used to think it was like that old show, The Prisoner, because he's just stuck on this island going round and round. And he's just saying, yeah. I want to be a useful engine. I'm going to be a useful engine. And he's all smiling. And he's just going round and round. And he can't escape. And then I realized, oh, wait. That's all of us. We're all stuck on these rails that is our bodies. Uh, this life going round and round and the best thing we can do is be useful when you truly when you can the first thing you want to do is, is you go i'm going to go and do what i want to do i'm the individual i'm going to sing write poetry be a dentist whatever it is but then when you fuse that with being useful with serving when you find a way to combine that so you combine you have these three holes in you right uh as a human you want love from Others, your your family, your your wife, whatever it is, you know, a significant other, then you want the the hole that's filled by you doing what you're supposed to do, essentially, you know. But then the other hole is you doing that usefully, in service, okay. is serving. So when you work out a way of doing what it is that you love to do and you're good at, and you work out a way of fusing that with being of service, with being useful, with being a useful engine, that's when it all comes together and becomes truly magical.
0: Uh, would you say that? Um, it's rare that people are able to accomplish all those three things or is it four or three?
2: Three, that's three. three. Yeah. I haven't fully like finessed that thought, but it's, that's the thing I've always thought. I always felt that a man has those holes and they must be filled. And if they're not, right. then there is anguish and torment and sadness. You know, you could have one of them, you could have the wonderful family, but if you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing and good at, there'll always be some resentments and sadness. And then if you've got both of them, but what you're doing is not being useful in the world it's not it's not like helping people in some way or, or providing some kind of like ser- service to mankind there's always going to be this feeling of like there's something wrong here it's not complete or whatever if you get those three yeah. things rocking then you tend to get a happy human you know
0: <laughs> right and and you get that happy human then spreads there joy or light to other to make other people happy, so people yes. look at that person and be like, oh, yes. that's possible. I guess the ultimate goal, Akira, is to make that sustainable, right? Because yes. I think sometimes in my life, I feel like I've had that tripod, but then things change or something, you know, things change or I don't like doing something or I've, I've been dating someone and, you know, you break up with them. and then, So it's like finding that sustainable tripod and do you feel like you've achieved that or you're achieving that? Currently, yes.
2: Which is epic! Yeah. It's amazing. For the first time in my life, I, that that does feel the case, yeah. But you're right; it's it's making it sustainable, and that's the yeah. trick, yeah. you know. So it's like, yeah, right now it's working, and it's basically it's been working for a couple of years. Uh, finesse a few things here and there. Sometimes things go out of whack. Oh shit! I'm spending too much time doing this, and the family is suffering, or something is out. You know, you have to do this constant recalibration and realignment to make sure everything is balanced correctly and functioning. And then you know, crazy, you know, shit will happen like this current. Uh, time opportunity whatever you want to call it and you need to recalibrate yeah. very fast uh, to do with that you know I was at part of what I was doing was being a club dj right um, so i just switched immediately to live streaming every day like immediately okay and and changed some other things and what have you but you know not and this was like cuz i was le- i did that record with Naval Ravikant and uh, he had one of the songs in there was stressing the line you'll never get you won't get rich renting out your time you know, and anything you're doing that's renting out your time, that's finite, and you, you know, you kind of, so DJs, if you're a DJ, you're a full-time DJ, all you're doing is renting out your time, so when something like this happens, you're screwed, or if you break your arm or something like that, you know what I mean, so you, want, you need to incorporate something into what you're doing that generates money while you sleep, essentially, and for, for us, right. that's something like streaming or whatever, right? So like when I made that record, I made a decision to just like, I was DJing like five nights a week and I cut it down to one, you know, and, um, uh, so that meant most of my efforts was going into making music, making, actually recording it or that. And so that meant in the short term, I took a bit of a hit because DJing, you know, brings in certain amounts of money and that's reliable, but just going all in on, you know, music and getting as much upstreaming, creating a situation where I was releasing like regularly, like every week, multiple times type thing, that puts that momentum in that direction, you know? And uh, that meant when this thing happened, uh, I was pretty, I was cool. I was able to yeah. pivot yeah. a bit and cover the bits that had been fucked in some direction or what have you. But so that stuff, those yeah. lessons, all the lessons I've been learning through Meaning Wave have been very, very applicable now. And all my audience who've been learning them with me have been writing to me and saying, I'm so happy. I found this when I did because I was doing this stuff and that's meant that I've been able to adjust at this point and help my family and help other people and so on and so forth.
0: So the streaming money, if you put out enough stuff, it's like, like you said, the money you get when you're sleeping, that's cool because you're not trying to recoup some advance, you're actually paying your bills yeah. through each project. Yeah, and I, you
2: know, I, I worked out how to do everything myself. So I could master, mix, engineer, do the artwork, do the videos, if necessary, do everything. So and, I, and it was necessary for a long time. Recently, I've been able to start delegating certain stuff, but because I have that language, I'm able to communicate what I want. You know, so I can if I'm working with a, an artist, I can communicate what I want, and i in their language. If I'm working with a mixing mastering engineer, I can communicate with them in their language, and so on and so forth. And uh, so that's just all of that has been good for a long time. I was kind of suffering. I was like, oh, why me? Why am I stuck here? All these people have got can afford mixing engineers. And this person's got a record deal or whatever it is that was going on. And Mm -hmm. I felt hard done by it at that time a decade ago. But it all ended up being wonderful. It all ended up being the best thing possible. It it gave me the tools I needed to be able to do everything. And now I'm essentially a kind of a record label uh, now, you know, with the amount of stuff I'm putting out and all the people I'm working with and what have you. And it means I can operate in that fashion and communicate in the necessary language.
0: Yeah. As an artist and as an engineer and as a everything, right? Every aspect of it.
2: Yeah. Scott Adams talks about the concept of a talent stack being something Mm. that will get you where you want to go rather than being a genius. So it's like you could have a genius. You say you've got an amazing an amazing painter. Okay. There's a lot of amazing painters. The amazing yeah. painter who also can do Photoshop and digital marketing and, uh, and, you know, write his own bio and write persuasive copywriting is going to do way better than the amazing artist who can't do those things. And the average artist who can do all those things is going to do better than the amazing artist who can't do any of those things.
0: Right. So in right. the
2: contemporary world, developing a talent stack of mutually uh, beneficial skills is going to do you real well in this new world in which we live. You know, and that's something you've been doing, right? From the off.
0: Yeah. Thanks. And that's something that when you are like, I feel like you and I grew up listening to lots of music and maybe some, some music that a lot of people didn't listen to. But I also know you and I are big Nirvana fans. Uh-huh. You talk about that in um, in Living the Future, the download Nirvana thing. How did like growing, did you grow up in Wales or did you grow up in, in London?
2: Yeah, in Wales. I left home when in I was wh- 16 and moved to the big cities, but I grew up in Wales. Yeah.
0: So, what was it like first discovering um, like underground music? What are some of your first memories of realizing that you wanted to be a musician and there was this world out there and that this was your path? Like so you talked about like synchronicities and coincidences. Were there any moments and I, I, and I'm also wondering this two-part question: When did you first hear Nirvana, and like how did that have an influence on you?:
2: I think it's the same for a lot of us at that point. This is pre-internet, and it made us feel people some of those of us who were out there felt alone. It made us feel we weren't alone and we weren't maybe insane and weird. Where I lived, it was very small and all the other, the other kids, you know, it was like in my school, they would teach two years in one class. It was so few of us and no one was into it. No one liked the music I liked. If people did like music, it was just whatever was in the charts. You know, no one was like me. I, the way I dressed, the stuff I was into, the. It was, very, I was the only person I was like the, you know, you, you have a town, it's got a few like indie kids or emo kids or scene kids or whatever it is. I was the only one. There was not one more. It was just I, you know? So hearing that music, I was like, oh shit, there's more people like this. And like the references and the comics they liked. And cause I you know, it was the whole thing. I was into music. I was into comics. I was into all this stuff. Nirvana came along and that was in tandem with the Seattle scene in general that also had Peter Bagg making hate comic books and stuff. And it was like, right. And it was this whole thing. And so, and you know, I mean, I think I was 13 when I heard that shit. So it was like the perfect time. You're this angsty teenager and all that type of thing. You know, it just hit perfect. And it, but the most important thing was it made me feel I was not alone and there was something out there that there was a tribe out there for me to go and find as soon as I could escape. So I wanted to escape, That's dope. you know.
0: Did, did you, were you using the internet back then?
2: There was no internet back then. The internet didn't appear for yeah. me until uh, until I'd left school. You know, I left school at 16, and it was around then that the internet started appearing for people. And um, yeah. so as soon as it appeared, I, I accessed it on some, like, library computers and stuff, and I made a I made a, uh, a fanzine
0: immediately oh,
2: cool. using MS Publisher to use, write Word documents and convert those to web pages. So as soon as it appeared, uh, I got on it, you know, and, I, and in, in libraries and shit. Because and, I'd been making fanzines for years anyway. I always had this thing that I always wanted to make music. And it's like, how can you make music? Back in those days, you had to have a demo tape and meet a guy from a record label. There had to be some kind of magical circumstance. Right. There was no way of just doing it like there is now, you know? So it was like, my plan I figured out was, I know I'll become a music journalist and that way I'll know people in the music industry and I'll be able to get in and get music out. And then I was like, how can I be a music journalist? I was like, well, I'll make my own fanzine. I was making my own comic books and I would review singles in the back of them. So I was like, I'll just make a whole fanzine and I'll interview some journalists because journalists kind of all want are failed musicians who want to be rock stars. So if I interview <laughs> them, they'll like, they'll uh. talk to me and think I'm cool. And like, they'll want to talk to me because they want people to care about them. And then that way I'll get to know people in that world and I can become a music journalist and then I can become, make music. And that's what I did. And it worked. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's tight. How did you meet the truck records people? Just, just through the scene or that them- how did you meet Paul?
2: That was just through uh, doing, the, doing the fanzine thing, making my own online magazine as soon as there was an internet. I pivoted that into being hired for uh, some online magazines that, were, that had funding or whatever. There was one called Click Music that was the first one. I lied to them and said I wrote for Mojo magazine as well as having my online magazine. And you could do that back then because people couldn't check somehow. You know? So that was when I was like 17 or 18 or something. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, and I was living in, in a squat with some junkies at the time. I'd just like come to London, not knowing anything or anyone and just turned up, Ended wow. up and up staying sleeping in a squat with some junkies who were very nice and put me up for a bit while I did that first bit of work. And, uh, <laughs> I started being the news editor at play louder and those truck guys sent me stuff to review and write about, you know, That's and then wild, when bro. I was in play louder, I was like, okay, now there's this digital magazine. I could do a radio show on it mp3s exist there's no reason why i couldn't record interviews with people and put them up on the site as mp3s for people to download and listen to that was before there were podcasts you know and that's where you came along
0: are those archives still available probably i mean the Wayback machine exists yeah
2: and um i've got some i've got a hard drive somewhere with a lot of that stuff backed up it does exist it does exist somewhere you know it is with the internet everything exists somewhere
0: yeah it's it's there Who do you talk? So we've talked um, and you said you talked to Sage Francis. Who else? Is there anyone else you talked to who went on to like keep going and growing?
2: On that podcast at that time. Who did I talk to? Who came through? There was Killer Keller was on one. The Prodigy. I had the Prodigy. I spoke to a lot of people like Dead Prayers. I mean, some of them were on phone interviews. Some of them were in person. Some were phone interviews. But I I spoke to a lot of people at that point. Uh, I spoke to the RZA. You know, uh, Andrew Good W.K., psych. Chili Gonzalez, all those sort of Chili Gonzalez came through. Andrew W.K., uh, Peaches, people like that. Uh, like a lot of people. I'd have to make a list of it at some point because it was a lot. Super Furry Animals.
0: Did uh, you ever talk to Paul Barman?
2: Yes, I did talk to Paul Barman. That's who I was trying to remember the other day. I wanted to do because I'm doing DJ sets every day on my on my stream, yeah. on my YouTube, and I've been doing some like, you know, late. To late 90s early 2000s instrumentals thing paul barman is one of i wanted to do a, a like an early 2000s underground rap dj set and barman was one of the guys i was trying to remember the name of yeah there was a few people yeah. from that period that i can't remember the names of and they're not on spotify anymore a lot of them or they never no. got on spotify
0: <laughs> yeah and a lot of them like um Farman's stuff was so cool because prince paul produced that first ep yeah so those beats are tight
2: the beats are epic he was really interesting but no one had really spoken about that stuff before there was sex as well that was another guy i forgot about
0: yeah i was listening to him the other day he wanted you, had you had the, interviewed him
2: uh i'm sure i did i think it was a text interview yeah. with him i think it was a no it was no it did yeah and i went to his show and i hung out backstage with him he was like little peep before little peep as well right you know <laughs>
0: and he was a guy he
2: was a guy who really suffered from like failing to you know from just moving from one thing to another thing too fast like on one album he was like this sort of jokey kind of like backpack deaf juxtapos almost guy and then the next album he was like like marilyn manson rapping in a dress or something like just confused the shit out of people
0: yeah and um what was i like the song bad acne from tall dark and handcuffed that's a great song yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> but at what point did you get signed to interscope like because that was a crazy part of your story too
2: oh the darkness was another group Th- that's an example that i'm like, awesome. I was trying to think of people who are still rocking uh yeah. and yeah i was fucking with the darkness at that point but they were friends of mine from camden yeah that's, that's awesome but yeah interscope that happened in like 24 2004 i think it was i was just like i was yeah. observing the way that like the strokes got big in the uk before they were big in America, because the UK were yeah. like, oh, look at these cool people from America. And I was like, huh, I bet if I go to America, they'll be like, look at this cool guy from the UK. Whereas it's like a situation, I heard a quote recently, which kind of sums it up, which is, you'll never be a guru in your hometown. Mm. You know what I mean? Those motherfuckers know yeah. you too well, and there's like tall poppy syndrome and all of these things that combine that like you're just not allowed, Right. you know? They're not going to let you but you right. go somewhere new they see they see the freshness of you they see the uniqueness of you if you have that if you go to a different place that's the first thing they'll see they'll not see oh i remember that guy when he was a kid or you know what i mean right so i was like i'm gonna go to america and i rang up my bank and i and i gave them some bullshit story and and uh, despite me having zero credit they they lent me a couple of thousand dollars to get a plane ticket so i went to america and i had a friend <laughs> And uh, his his missus cut hair, and she was just listening to my demo CD. I'd just written seven songs. That was it. I had seven songs. And she was listening to my demo CD, and while well, she was cutting some guy's hair, and he ended up being from this uh, A&R company. They were the same people who signed Lana Del Rey. And uh, he was like, what is wow. this? What is this? And he took it to Jimmy Iovine at Interscope, who immediately was, had, like, was, oh, this is the future. And I was in um, the Everglades, I had a microphone and a He-Man sword. I was just running around the place, jumping on at DJ sets, just rapping over people's DJ sets with a microphone and a He-Man sword, you know? And I was in the Everglades with my homie looking at these little fluorescent orange locusts that look like little dinosaurs, and upside down trees and all this magical shit. And I came out of the woods mm-hmm. and my phone was just fucking crazy. And Madonna's lawyer was leaving all these messages saying, you need to fly to LA immediately to meet Jimmy Iovine.
0: So, she, so the hair dresser had gotten was a friend yours who was just bumping the cd at the at the salon
2: yeah i had a friend and his girlfriend like i'd sent in my demo cd to maybe get me some dj gigs or to get me like i just wanted to rap on people's dj gigs you know I just like my plan was i'll go to america with my he-man sword and i'll just rap on dj sets and i'll meet people and i'll get it popping somehow you know and that's what i was doing i was doing that for a few weeks i was in new york doing that i was in uh, miami doing that you know i was out there for two three weeks before that thing happened, she was just playing the CD and the guy whose hair she was cutting happened to be from this little a type company group that were the group that also signed Lana Del Rey They one of them and took them to, her to Interscope as well, you know? And, that's uh, amazing, man. Yeah. And that's when <laughs> <we're> that, that's <laughs> how that shit used to go down, you know what I mean? Right,
0: that's right. That's how it
2: used to happen. It was just before it all switched. Like by the time I'd signed the deal, like about six weeks later, like something, they laid off half the A&R department you know and everything started suddenly shifting you know they uh when i was recording the fucking album they used to like deliver pineapple things filled with ice cream to the studio and they used to try and get me to buy cocaine all the time and i didn't because i wasn't into that shit at that point thank god and um when i went to the airport they'd send me in a limousine and i was like i know this is all coming out of my budget i know this ain't free and like the woman the woman on the phone rang up from the accounting department she's like yeah yeah just enjoy it while you can okay this won't last forever I was, all right fair enough why not
0: <laughs> so you so right to you knew it would be, be hard to recoup the advance with all these extra costs
2: I knew that that's how it went down because I've been a music yeah. journalist yeah. most artists when they would go into these situations they just thought oh free money I'm going to be a star they wouldn't even think about it I was like no this is when you say it's a quarter of a million dollar deal that sounds like a big thing but I know that's got to pay for everything the studio this that and the other and the marketing budget and all this stuff and there's all these moving parts and you know what I mean? It's like, you're fucking running yeah. around buying lemons with ice cream in them and trying to fucking buy cocaine on my fucking budget. You know what I mean, piss off. Yeah. Right, like send right, fucking right. ordering limos and shit. So what I did was I insisted on them essentially buying me a home studio, which they didn't want to do. And it took about a month of negotiation to say, look, I'll do it, but you have to, I have to be able to have a home studio. Cause they okay. want you in their studios cause that's their studios. Right. So they're making money both ways. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. So like yeah. they give you they give you the budget but then you spend that budget in their studios. So they they get the money back. So they're cool and then you have to pay them back as well so they get the money twice, you know what I mean?
0: That's why they're so that's why those people make so much money theoretically or why they could sign so many people because there's they have ways of making money outside of just the, back then the sales, right?
2: Yeah, cuz they can sign up they can sign you and shelf the album. They're still going to make their money back cuz they make it back on the studio stuff on the the things they do with the limo companies and shit, they all get money back from all those things. So they get the money back, but you don't. And every one of those things you accept is like the less money you're gonna see from it, you know? So I insisted on getting a home studio, so uh, setting, so I got a really good computer and I got a fucking Mackie big knob and I got some fucking drum machines and synths and keyboards and speakers and everything I needed to make music on my own. And that's what like saved my ass. Cause you know, when it came time to, when I handed in the album, and they wanted me to change the lyrics and I didn't want to change the lyrics. And I knew that Buster Rhymes was on that label and he'd handed in three albums that they wouldn't release. And that's Buster Rhymes. So i what was that going wow. to happen with me? You know what I mean? So yeah. I took, I already had one of the songs that I'd recorded with them in that movie, My Super Ex-Girlfriend with Uma Thurman. Um, and I'd, that had been a big check. So I just took the money from that to buy the album back from Interscope and just went independent and. And began the long process of building my own independent world, you know, That's which wild. was just mistakes and mistakes and trial and error for years and years and years. So we eventually get to the point now, like fifteen years later, where it's working.
0: There's this thing about when you get older and become become either get married and have a kid or like go to the next try to fill those other holes that you're talking about earlier. Um, a lot of people, most people I know who were creative musicians give up man because it's like they 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 can't find the way to fit fill those other two holes and it's like it's sad but it's also like some people are they have this attitude like well that's how it is right you just you can't do this forever you got to grow up but i'm of the belief that no there are musicians who age well and have w- wise things to say and can stay creative and don't give up on your dreams ever if you don't have to you know like was that a conscious choice for you you're like i'm not going to quit yeah, yeah, of course,
2: or, always. You know, the, yeah. all my life yeah. people told me that I wasn't going to do what I wanted to do. When I was a little kid, you know, it was in, in the UK, you're working class, you're going to be, this is what you're going to do. And then I would say, no, I'm going to do this. And they would go, ha, ha, ha. I had the classic story of the teacher telling you, you're not going to do that. I had that, you know, the classic story of like every day I wasn't in fights. Every day I was getting bullied. I was getting, punished. like, literally every day getting like fucking half the school kicking me in the fucking face. You know what I mean? But I was always like, I will fucking persevere and I will will do this and no matter what happened I never stopped and even when you know that whole thing with the record deal I signed the fucking I was the first British rapper signed to Interscope they wrote they wrote stories in my fucking hometown paper you know like oh hometown hero all this shit all the people that used to fucking laugh at me or whatever were suddenly fucking ringing me up and like oh my god you know and uh and then that collapsed you know that thing collapsed and then it's like shit fucking You know, for a moment, I felt suicidal, obviously, like, because you like all those people that were like waiting on this thing. And now it's not going to happen. And you look at what do I look like and all this. But then I was like, this goes back to the previous attitude. Doesn't matter what anyone thinks. And it doesn't mean I can't do it. I've got this home studio. Before the record deal, I was putting out mixtapes that were doing a million downloads. Like people. That's one aspect. People forget about, like, I was doing it before the deal. Like, my first mixtape did over a million downloads in a week because there were no other mixtapes. There was no online mixtapes. Mm. If you go on Wikipedia, it credits Ghostface Killer with doing the first online mixtape in, like, 2004. I was doing it in 2002, you know? <laughs> mixtape. And I'd, put, I'd yeah. post them on the Wu-Tang message board, and it would, like, the track list would have, like, Wu-Tang Clan featuring Akira the Don because I'd added one of my verses to one of their fucking songs and put it in a mixtape. You know, and right. it could, that first one did over a million downloads on like fucking, I had to pay for all those, like the server thing. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I was doing flash fucking music vi- videos, animated music videos before there was YouTube. I was like had a daily blog, all this stuff that's now normal I was doing in 2002. So I was like, shit, I don't really need a record label because all the stuff they, I was already doing it. I was already reaching fucking millions of people. Right. So let's just fucking carry on and retool and work out how to fucking do this, you know? And it took a while, like I said, to get like now, it's only just got to the point where it's like thriving in in the way I always wanted it to, you know, Uh, and it took 15 years of fucking banging my head against multiple surfaces and, you know, well, it took 20, well, longer than that, but certainly making music actively full time, uh, 20 years, you know. Of wow. failures and loss and rejection and sorrow and heartbreak and all that. <laughs> but never fucking stopping and always going and always seeing yeah. every obstacle as an opportunity to learn something and uh, and develop somehow, you know.
0: Good work, man. That's, that's the key. Right.
2: But anyone can do that. That's the thing. Anyone can do that.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: Anyone could do that, hypothetically. You could see the obstacle as an opportunity. You could look for the good in the situation. And people do it all the time and always have.
0: Right. And having people who you surround yourself with who similarly believe in you and like are proud of you. And when your success like happens, not them feeling small, them saying, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like I'm part of your team. Like I'm talking like about partners or bandmates or collaborators like that's important. I've found. Yeah. Keeping the positive energy like that's so important. Right.
2: Yeah. There's uh, that. Jordan Peterson has that thing as one of his book chapters and it make friends with people who want the best for you. Mm. And that's super important. There's some people in your life who don't want the best for you. And when you succeed, it makes them feel lesser and they get angry and upset and they try and hold you back. And lots of people have that problem in their life. They have family members who, who actively would rather they didn't succeed because it shows it holds a mirror up to them. And, you know, it's right. like people have it with fitness. It's like if you start getting healthy, some people, some of your friends won't like it because it makes them feel unhealthy. If you start eating clean, oh, fuck you. You think you're better than me because you don't want to come to McDonald's type thing. You know, that's a real thing that, that you have right. to watch out for in your life and watch out for in your circle. You've got to be ruthless with that shit. It's like I've been saying about the Twitter feed thing. It's like, don't be afraid to unfollow someone that you like in real life if they're not adding to the value of your Twitter feed. That thing should be useful. It should be helping create the optimal you. If you're not optimal in the world, you're doing a disservice to everyone else in the world. You're doing a disservice to the to the universe's potential if you're not living up to your own potential. If you're allowing people in your life to hold you back and if you're allowing people in your life to fuck with the vibes and make you feel lesser and this, that, and the other. You've got to be savage sometimes. Sometimes you've got to unfollow your auntie. Sometimes you've got to unfollow your auntie in real life. You know what I mean?
0: Speaking of that, when you met met Jimmy Alvin for the first time, did it feel like this is someone who's going to be on my team, who's going to be a friend? Or were you like, this is definitely business and like… this is a business move them wanting to sign me like
2: how was that oh i believed it all i was a fool even though i knew even though i'd written i wrote an article for tank magazine (laughs) two weeks before it happened about why the contemporary artist doesn't need a major record label about everything wrong with the major record label industry about the evil nature of it the predatory nature of it all that but then when you're out on the fucking balcony and he's giving you ice cream and blowing smoke up your ass and telling you you're the new beatles and shit You want to believe that shit. So I did. I was like, okay, this feels good. I'm going to go with it. And I kind of knew I was lying to myself a little bit, you know, and he was like, I'm going to be here and you can just call me whenever you want and whatever you need, we've got you. And like, we just believe in you as an artist. And I haven't seen anyone with the potential of like like changing like music like this since the Beatles. You're going to do to, he was like, you're going to do to hip hop what the Beatles did to rock and roll you know and like little wow. did he, little did wow. he know he was right it was just going to take a little longer <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and it was going to be done in a different form and he wasn't going to profit directly from it but uh
0: right
3: <laughs>
2: yeah here we are
0: okay speaking of france um jack nimble how is he to hey talk to him?
2: dj jack nimble I, I had an email with him about a month ago yeah um i haven't spoken to him in a while because i'm out here you know what i mean and yeah. um and i've just been actually really bad at not talking to people from the uk frankly you know, I'll take full onus for that. I just got really, I just came out of here and just been full-blown obsessed on this shit. But yeah, he, he hit yeah. me up and he was like, oh, we're a bit worried about you. Are you okay? I was like, oh, I missed you. Wonderful. How are you doing? Da, 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 da. Like, yeah. uh, so I think he's cool. I think those guys That's are cool. So. I don't know why he was worried about me. I'll tell you what, well, I, well. Do, I'll, I do know. I think I do know. It's, and what, I think it is that um, some of the people that I've chosen to uh, sample, some people disagree with on certain levels ideologically and think that I've somehow sold out something or or switched something fundamental uh, and that concerns them. Because some people, some of the people I've used have weird ideas about what they actually are talking about or think without having listened to it. You know, if you've just heard the media's opinion on certain people, you might think they're awful. But if you listen to the actual records, there is nothing in there that is anything other than fundamental and useful. Mm. Uh, so certainly nothing I've ever fucking used.
0: Let's talk about your process and how you maintain your successful daily regimen of creative output. Like like what like when you wake up to when you go to sleep on a typical day, what does Akira the Don do to maximize his potential?
2: Yeah, you know, this is a constant recalibration process, as you know. But the first yeah. the first step was going, all right, where am I wasting time? That was like the first step when I was like, okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna do hyper productivity. So like, where am I wasting time? Where could I save time? Where could I be more uh, useful? I've got a song dropping on Friday with Manly P. Hall uh, called Reduce Effort. And he talks about how, you know, if you're going to be a great singer, the main thing in your way is your throat. If you could get rid of the throat, Mm -hmm. you'd be fine. And the only way you, when you become a really great singer, you have to basically learn to kind of essentially like relax it to the point of it being non existent And then you get that pure tone. Basically, in life, you want to receive, you want to have like optimal uh, results with like minimum effort, you know, and uh, that's, so it's like applying that principle to everything. So it's like, where am I ex- expending too much effort for too little result? Where am I wasting time? What stuff am I doing that like could be, I could not be doing or someone else could be doing or could be done smarter. I do it like batching has become a big part of what I do. You're aware of batching.
0: I I could think when I think of batching, I think about like a batch um fader or like effect on a bunch of tracks.
2: All right. So batching is like when you're doing a, say you've got a bunch of stuff, do the stuff that's cl- similar closest together. So for example, okay uh if I've got seven mixes coming out in a week, I will render the visuals for them and all that. I'll do that all at the same time. Cause it's quicker. It's do all those processes yeah. at the same time. If I'm making yeah. an album uh i have i do it in stages so I, I well i make an album every month you know so i do it in stages so i'm like okay what's the subject research the material then it's like what's the sound work out the sonic palette build drum kits build uh build a template that's got all the sounds i want to use all the synths all the this that and the other you know what i mean and within that there's batching processes because i've worked out um, effects chains that i'm going to be using ahead of time you know, so then it's like then it's like lay out the album, work out the chords for each song, so they all work together and there's a shape. Then it's like detail all the songs, re- record all the choruses. I do it, batch everything because it's just quicker. It's way quicker, and you're in the zone. The idea is you're yeah. creating these zones within zones. You want to be in the zone. You want to get in the zone mm-hmm. and stay in the zone because sometimes you fall out the zone you can't even get back in. That's why most bands' second albums suck. They were in the zone. That's true. Then the record label put them on tour and they fell out of the zone. Then they didn't know how to get back in. So you want to get in the zone, stay in the zone, right? And the way you stay in the zone is by like no resistance. You want to be minimizing resistance, minimizing friction, right? You create these mini zones. So I'm in the zone of mixing. I'm in the zone of creating drum kits. I'm in the zone of writing raps. I'm in the zone of doing artwork. I'm in the zone of answering emails. I'm in the zone of uploading things. You know, I'm in the zone, whatever it is. So that's a yeah. big part of it, you know, batching, do, doing that. That's just, that's just a small fucking part. Then it's like en- talking, energy regulation is mad important. You know, energy regulation. Talk about that. Like, And one yeah. way I've done that is I just adopted a, a, what for some would be considered a weird diet, but it works for me, which is uh, I just don't have any carbs or any sugar. I basically just eat steak for the most part and drink water. And what that does is... Uh, it just regulates my energy. You know, when you eat like pasta or some shit, you're, I'm all sleepy now and starting to bloat and yeah, shit.
0: Yeah,
2: right. You can't do what you needed to do or whatever. So I don't have any of that. And I don't have to worry yeah. about what I'm going to eat because I know I'm going to eat because it's the fucking same all the time. And there's some arguments yeah. against against that as being uncreative or whatever. And uh, on the new Alan Watts album I have, he, he says something about that. But for me, that helps with energy regulation and keeps that all in thing. Then it's habits, habits is then the big thing because the older mm. you get the more of your life is habit and the more of your yeah. life is habit loops and that's one of the reasons you think that time is speeding up right because right. your your brain fast forwards through the habit loop if you're driving to work the same route every day your brain will pretty much fast forward through that because you didn't that's why so you need to like pay attention to your habits and make sure they're useful and they're serving you because you might develop some bad ones and if you find some bad ones you can just replace them with useful ones that are deliberate You know what I mean? Because most of what you do, and particularly the older you get, the more of your life becomes your subconscious uh, system one versus system two, subconscious versus conscious. Subconsciously, you'll be making decisions, you'll be doing things, you'll be. uh, That's most of your life. So that's the bit you really want to be paying attention to and and, uh, making sure is working for you.
0: What would you say is the biggest bad habit you broke? That that was hard, the hardest to break. If you care, if it's okay to share.
2: Mindset. There's a lot. There's a lot. but I had to completely fucking deprogram myself and rewire myself to be useful. One of the big mindset problems I had was from my socialist upbringing, which was that money is evil, mm. which is fucking stupid. But I had that. And so I thought I, I had this subconscious thing that money was evil, money is the root of all evil, blah, 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 blah. So therefore making money is evil, therefore getting paid for what I was doing was evil. So I would constantly subconsciously fuck myself and subconsciously cock block myself and subconsciously self-sabotage every time I was coming near money. I did it with the record deal. Like in retrospect, I, I basically gave them an album they couldn't release. I knew they weren't gonna put out an album with a fucking song on it called Thanks for All the Aids. What the fuck but- was I doing?
1: You know what I mean? Right. I, was
2: self-consciously, I was subconsciously self-sabotaging. Coke wanted to use one of my songs for an advert. It's like, no, that's, that's, that's evil or whatever. You not know, realizing that, you know, like to, to act optimally in the world, you to, need to be able to be optimally in the world and money is just a fucking energy. It's what you do with right. it that's important. And, and like, So I had to completely rewire myself on money, you know, to, to actually believe that money was not evil and could be used for good and was just an energy like anything else, you know? Uh, so that was one of the major, major things.
0: And then um, another major
2: thing was, uh, uh, was my self-talk, which is another mindset thing. But I wasn't even aware of the concept. I didn't realize, you know, you have this voice in your head. And my voice in my head would speak to me like you wouldn't talk to your worst enemy. I'd be like, oh, you fucking dickhead. You fucked this up. Now look what you've done. You always fucked this up. Oh, you fucking moron. Da-da-da-da-da. That was going on every day. I didn't even notice until I, st- I was aware of the concept and then paid attention to it. I was like, oh shit, you talk to yourself like a fucking tyrant. Like you're horrible to yourself.
0: Mm.
2: You know what mm. I mean? I was, re- I was an absolute prick to myself on a daily basis. So I started doing oh, this yeah. practice of like, of speaking what I was thinking. And you can do that now. You can walk around the street and just talk to yourself and no one thinks you're crazy. They think you're on your AirPods. You know what
0: I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> but so you can do like it. Positive things, t- telling yourself some positive stuff.
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and like just yeah. say what's going on. My wife is like, you talk to yourself a lot in the studio. Because, you know, I had to move the studio home recently because of Tom Hanks disease. Right. And, uh, right. you know, so yeah. she's like, I'm up here just talking to myself. But I do, But I, I got in the habit of just trying to elocute a lot of what was in there. So then you can see what it is. It's like when you write things down, you're like, oh, shit, it's different. There's like way more of it. Like you've got to write down all the stuff you're doing. Like, holy shit, look at all this stuff I was trying to keep in my head. That's crazy. And similarly, it's like the messages you're telling yourself, the, the conversation you're having with yourself like the previous one was not was a negative one it was an abusive relationship and so like fixing that fixing my my relationship with money and fixing my relationship with myself mindset wise and internally stopping blaming other fa- outside factors for my for the problems in my life stop blaming the government stop bl- stop blaming i used to i used to blame all oh, the government the music industry whatever it was then it's like stop you just got to well i chose the decision to say radical self Uh, responsibility everything's my fault everything's my responsibility and then when you do that shit just becomes way clearer and way easier and you can actually Mm. function usefully you know and you can make things fucking happen as long as you're a victim in your mind you'll always be a victim and you'll be you know what i mean yeah
0: that's huge
2: I, i emancipated my ass yeah, you
0: know I man. That's what's up. It's dope. I appreciate your time, man, and I appreciate you being on the podcast. And like, it's good to see you in a good place. And um, you always, yeah, you I know, always really looked up to you, man. And it's 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 cool that you're doing well. And I think it'd be fun if you ever were down to do another song one day if you ever have time. Of course, brother. Be tight.
2: Of course. And like you know, if you, I would love to have you come on one of my streams if you would ever like to. Yeah,
0: I'll be honored. That'll be tight.
2: What you got coming up?
0: we got uh let's see uh i'm putting out a compilation in a few weeks of like different collabs i've done doing some videos and stuff i was inspired by watching your videos seeing like all the everything you can pull off like with like green screen and everything you know so i've been learning (laughs) that and doing more videos and stuff and um red giant
2: if you haven't fucked with it red giant fx suite that's okay really good i'm
0: write that down really good. can i use that with premiere
2: yeah Use it with okay. Premiere and After Effects. I, on that last video I did, that Marcus Aurelius one, I used yeah. that on the whole thing. And it, you, the way with, and I didn't know After Effects, and I didn't realize, because some effects only work in After Effects. And after I bought it, I was like, god damn, this is a sink. But you just create the space in Premiere and then right-click it and say, and yeah. open in After Effects. And then you just do it there, and it's really easy, and it just reflects back in Premiere, if that makes That's sense. So it's like you yeah. don't. it's not you don't actually have to learn another program. It's just like opening an effect within Premiere is how it feels
0: um i like that like <laughs> with premiere like if i'm in photoshop and i change a layer it i don't have to re-export it, it exactly right it in there it's the that's, same it's like thing
2: that. so you change something in after effects it changes in premiere i use it that's all the shit i use for the same reason
0: you're same that's as me the same.
2: right we had to teach ourselves fucking photoshop yeah. just to do posters or whatever and then right then like premiere is a bit like logic or whatever it is it's a bit like that way of making music so you can kind of suss that out and you work it out bit yeah. by bit
0: and it's it's fun. It's fu- I, I, enjoy, I enjoy being able to take what's in my head and then put it into a screen and learning like the key commands and everything. So I'm trying to work <laughs> more on that. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, the quarantine has forced me to do spend more time in the studio and uh-huh. it's, it's okay. I don't mind. So um, <laughs> I don't mind, except for the people suffering. Like otherwise, you know what I'm saying?
2: It's an opportunity. Yeah. It's all an opportunity. There's always people suffering, by the way. People were suffering before this new paradigm. So what we have here is an opportunity to to reduce some of that suffering and introduce new systems and uh, new ways that will negate uh, some of that stuff and stop that stuff happening again. There's things that were going on before that were just unacceptable that we kind of turned a blind eye to because it was convenient for us, the way our phones were made and things like that. You know, We kind of did these deals with the devil for convenience, and then those chickens came home to fucking roost. And uh, we'll build a better world out of this. We have an opportunity to... uh, and that you know that's we're all responsible for how that happens and you know we've got to be uh, yeah. active and conscious about the decisions we make and what we allow to be to be forged from the ashes of this thing you know but i see it you gotta you don't have to do anything but i choose to see it as an opportunity to create a better world and uh, to you know be more useful and for all of us to be closer to our potential in this
0: lifetime Akira the Dawn, you got a lot of stuff on Spotify, your YouTube channel's tight. Um, it's Akira the Dawn on Twitter, right? Yeah, it's, on everything. So look up my homie and check out his new projects. And do, is there anything you can um, we can give you the opportunity to promote right now? Like yeah. anything you want to plug?
2: Well, I mean, I release shit every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, something yeah. new, I drop, there's new shit every day. I'll be streaming every day at 6. I drop a new mix every day. I drop a new track every day. Uh, I, drip, I drop two albums a month. You know, I drop I drop something new on Spotify every Friday. Wherever you That's are, you'll be able to find something useful for you, whatever it is, you know. Just check Akira the Don wherever you are and you'll find something useful.
0: If you heard this, on, heard the podcast, if you tweet at Akira Don and say, um, Welsh surprises and tag me, <laughs> I'm going to send you a download of a rare mc lars track from back in the day so just to make sure our listeners are engaged so
2: welsh surprises nice
0: thank you akira this has been a very good interview
2: you know what i'll do i I will see if i can find that original mc lars akira the don interview from 2004
0: okay that would be dope so if you want to get a hold of that yeah tag us on twitter and we'll put it like a
2: little scrappy little lars he was a little baby he was like he was all excited he'd just been to winchester
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was that was like a Yeah, that was a crazy tour, but it was um, my dad. I don't even remember my dad came with me if he was there. He was my tour manager. I don't remember your dad. No, I don't think
2: I met him. I think you came in the studio on your own. I just remember you freestyling about um, Sage Francis having the answers. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's what's up yeah I, well, I want to hear that i'll probably be a little embarrassed i should
2: hope so you should be embarrassed but also proud you know that's the way it is yeah. it's like look at, i always think of it as like look at that little guy look at all the stuff he was doing look how brave he was look at all the things he was trying to achieve you might like it might make you cringe now because you're a different person now but it's like look at that yeah. bad little motherfucker he was out there he was fucking getting after it creating the future and he was a yeah. tiny yeah. baby
0: <laughs> We were fearless, fearless babies, and now we're adults. That's what's up. Yeah, we um we should end with what we should play "Living in Our Future," "Living in the Future" remix with all the all your friends, right? Dude. That'd be a cool thing to play.
2: Why not, baby? Get after it. Yeah, fucking. This- everyone on that. It's like you know, Big Nasty is on that. He's like a superstar now. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? That was like a that was a talent show of a record. Like Scroobius Pips, like a pop star, uh, like a podcasting superstar actor now. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. Eddie, Eddie Argos is like a kind of uh, an internationally renowned uh, painter now
0: wow you know wow. M- mc
2: lars is, is like you know the godlike mc <laughs> lars uh nerd father you know what i mean
0: that's <laughs> and uh and the, K- the don just kept growing and going bringing the wisdom
2: yeah kira the don is the wave lord
0: this was originally on the triple a ep and then this became the remix
2: it was a track it was one of the first tracks i did as a the Dawn, and then I-, I kind of did a new version of it every time every five every couple years or something so it was called living in the future so you talk about futuristic shit that was happening right now, and then that would date epically, because shit moves so fast. Right, you right. know what I mean? I know how that goes. And then I did a version with Eula, like, and like you know, you'll you'll hear it. You know, Nasty's really excited because he can look at porn on his phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a video for this, too, I think, where we all kind of send in clips of us, is yeah, that still on it, your channel. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I think it's still somewhere, I think it should be somewhere.: Yeah, and it, it basically looks like now what everyone's life looks like now. It's basically a zoom conversation. That music video was a zoom conversation, so the way that everyone is now communicating to this week, you know, I had a pub quiz with my fucking mum and my brothers and my aunties and shit it looked just like that music video.: Yeah,
0: you know? That's what's up.: yeah. <laughs> It was appropriate. Um, all right. So this is live in the future 2.5. Akira the Dawn. Peace splash
3: I'm a man called Adam I'm a living in the future I make all my tunes on my computer I update my website all the time I like to spit a little bit but it's more than rhyme I find TV abhorrent so I stream shows or I use torrents The ban one many more spring from his cider guess that's why they call it the hydra <laughs> and I'm never alone I've got the whole internet in my mobile phone if I'm lost got maps on my mobile phone yo I write my raps on my mobile phone and my mobile phone is a snitch because it tells them boy then where I am all day but they know anyway because I just put it my oh, yeah. Hi, hey, yes, hi, hey, yes, hi, hey, yes, hi, hey, yes. Pain is the wave, but don't get sidetracked. Technology's deep. I grew up to tape and radio, now my
1: young Gs have got iPads. 3D cinema, IMAX, RIP to the floppy disk. Pain, obsolete, mini disc came in, and then it went out, gone, missing, can't be seen. Straight to the future, my phone is a sat-nav, so the pawn on my phone is a must-have.
3: I can zoom in and zoom out, make a picture, this is it's slow. Yeah. So I can be seen, wireless keyboard, sound still rocking acid, ba 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 go I love living in the future, baby. Speakers go boom, up in this room, yeah, hands in the air, I can do anything, I work right here, go I love living in the future, baby.
0: They ran track records from a garden shed on Percy Street. And I think back then when Akira put me on his radio show, I knew one day we'd be making mad dough. These days we. Main stage we paid, paid no leeway Guess what, we stayed We paved the way for a new generation Back before Facebook and the integration Social media day to day Now life is speeding up by the crazy race Living in the future, no doubt The Dom already nuked his MySpace account We're all about getting down with what's relevant Make way for the elephant in the room of reverend Eloquent, elegant, that's what we'll be telling them Hip-hop is the answer cause the elements are heaven sense.
3: My mind is blown by all this New technology, technology. Is being wasted on making films in 3D they should take all this new technology and use it to make Ghostbusters 3 Akira Kira the Don asked me to lend him a hand so I recorded this vocal into GarageBand and used it as a platform for me to request Ghostbusters 3 all this missing from this modern world for me is Bill Murray your baby
1: is Pip and I live in the past. I pass my time just sitting on my ass. I live my life nice by candlelight. I use ink and a quill when I write. Shop at Mr. Buy Right Hang on, is not true rapha Live let's go further back I am a caveman I don't even have the right tools to have a shave and I don't like the way we're portrayed, man Captain Caveman, you're a waste man My cave has no microwave Just a fire in the corner and a hole where I bathe Can't seem to get on well with the future I have a phone that's not a computer It doesn't go on the internet It just phones people and sends me wrong, The future is heavy But I'll make my own way there When I'm ready I'm Moving ready. too fast just gets too scary Keep your fruit machines apples, blackberries And I don't like touch screens While rat What was wrong with buttons anyway Silly rabbit 3D cinema ain't too bad but With those shitty glasses I just look like my dad I'll Tell you what I'd like to see in the future A boy that can run way faster than a cheetah Or how about a cat with human features Or a rabbit that stands at 5 to 6 meters and I'd like to see a be fold-out bed How about a real-life super 10 I've got so many ideas in my head But i got to stop now Because my I
3: got no reason to be going outside tonight I just download Nirvana Download Nirvana
0: living in the future. No doubt. The Don already nuked his MySpace account. I said that because I remember one of the first people who erased his MySpace accounts was Akira the Don because he saw how it was becoming really spammy. And he went on there and nuked it and made a video. And that was kind of brave because everyone was like, ooh, MySpace. Like, What are you going to do now? But he knew it was the end of an era. And then shortly after that, MySpace became antiquated. So that's what that line was about. Great song, great guests, big nasty, Scroobius pip, a lot of amazing artists on that collab. Next week, we got Phone Freak. He's a prank caller from Michigan who I met on the internet trading tapes with years ago. And uh, we just kind of, this was the first time we actually talked. We were pen pals and email pals for years. I never had talked to him face to face, but really good guy. Really interesting guy. Great story. Um, so tune in next week. Uh, revenge of the nerds 2 is online i'm doing my streams my freestyle fridays my switch stream sundays with 27 streets coming out on tuesdays got the spider-man song dropping got my bible album dropping just stay tuned to the social media and you'll see that flavor that's coming at you thanks to care for being on the show I'll see you all next week have a good one stay safe black lives matter and be careful out there as they de-quarantine the planet man this is freaking an, an insane year but I didn't want to harp on it. But if you want to know more about my stance on Black Lives Matter, please go to my Facebook and read the pinned tweet. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye.